whew, uh, I can't begin to explain how much of a boost it has been for my career, how all of these conversations that I'm having through geo-awesomeness has helped me connect the dots better. I've land, landed jobs uh, through geo-awesomeness and to the, to the work that I have done with geo-awesomeness. So yes, absolutely. It, it's uh, one of the best things you can do for your career is to have an positive online presence. I'm not talking about creating a Twitter account and just tweeting about the happenings of the world. I'm sure it could help if you want to be a journalist, but if you want to be one of the best network people in the geospatial industry, then writing, creating blogs, creating podcasts, creating videos, whatever it is, is a wonderful way to meet people and expand your horizons. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Mutu Kumar Kumar. Mutu is a localization engineer. He's the managing editor of a online community called GeoAwesomeness and I'm proud to call him my friend. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about being visible online in the geospatial community and what that might mean for your career and how you might go about creating this visibility for yourself. The inspiration for this episode came from a recent experience I had when I asked people, early stage geospatial professionals and students to apply to participate in creating a podcast episode. And I got lots of applications, which was absolutely wonderful. But what I discovered when I was reading through those applications was it was very difficult to get a sense of the work that these people were doing. Where, you know, What had they done in the past? What were they working on today? Where did they want to go? And it was really difficult because none of them were particularly visible online. There was a few scattered social media profiles at attached to each application. And if I was really, really lucky, perhaps a, a LinkedIn profile. But they weren't particularly up to date. It was really difficult to get a sense of who this person was. And when you get a, a lot of applications, some form of filtering needs to happen. And it occurred to me that perhaps we need some help, some guidance in terms of being visible online. Maybe we need, even need to understand why it might be important for us, how it might help our careers. So in just a minute, Mutu's going to share some of his insights and experiences. Just before we get started today, I want to say a huge thank you to my sponsor, Safegraph. So Safegraph have actually been on the podcast before. If you go back to episode 38 or just look through the archives and look for an episode called Building Geospatial Truth Sets, um, you, you'll find out a lot more about them there. But if you haven't heard about them before, um, they're geospatial enthusiasts just like us and they do an incredible job of curating points of interest data, foot traffic data and building footprints. They do all the heavy lifting, so all this curation is done for you, all the data cleaning and processing is done for you, so it's completely analysis ready when you get it. So data like this can be used for mapping population movement or competitive landscape analysis or perhaps determining how many visitors a specific building receives. Uh, I believe they have somewhere around 7 million points of interest covering the US, Canada and the UK. So if you're looking for this kind of data in those geographic regions, please check out SafeGraph. Just as a side note, if you're wondering what kind of analysis you can do with this data or if you're looking for some inspiration, if you go along to their website, safegraph.com, they've got a tab there called the COVID-19 Toolkit. There's some really, really interesting dashboards there. I know we've probably all seen enough dashboards there, but these are, these are worth looking at. Check it out. I also want to mention Safegraph do a ton of work for the community. So there's something called the Data Consortium, and this is a community Safegraph have built and they offer their data as well as a ton of support free to academics. I'll put a link to a safe graph in the show notes just to make it a bit easier for you to find. Hey Mortal, welcome to the podcast. 
We've talked a few times before and I'm really looking forward to, to recording this conversation and sending it out to the listeners. You are one of the geniuses behind geo-awesomeness. You've got this really broad understanding of the geospatial industry. And today on the podcast, I'd really like to talk to you about your work with geo-awesomeness and perhaps more broadly about what it's meant for you and your career to be visible online in the geospatial industry. I think before we do that, though, would you mind just giving the listeners an understanding of how you got involved in geospatial? First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast, Daniel. Um, it's a real pleasure and uh, thanks a lot for the kind word. That means a lot. Why did I get involved in geospatial or how did I get involved in geospatial? It goes back a long way. I'm one of those people who had a fascination with geography right from middle school. So I continued down the path and when I had to pick my bachelor's degree, I ended up picking geoinformatics and I loved it because it's one of those disciplines where you get a lot of interactions and the ability to shape entire industries and you're not necessarily bound to one industry or bound to one vertical, so to speak. That's what fascinated me about geospatial and that's what fascinates me about geospatial even today. And what got me involved in geo-awesomeness was the ability to take my passion and my enthusiasm for location-based technologies and serve as an evangelist for what you can do with this technology. So, yeah. What is geo-awesomeness? I haven't done a really great job of describing it, but would you mind doing that for us? That's a great question, by the way. Geo-awesomeness is actually 10 years old, so it has evolved quite a bit since its early days to where it is today. So Geo-awesomeness started as a, a blog. It was founded by my good friend Alex from Poland, who started it as a platform for himself and his friends at the master's program to showcase their passion for all things related to geospatial technologies. And then I joined in a year later. And fast forward 10 years, it's uh, one of the largest geospatial communities out there that thrives to basically bring the geospatial community and all the industries that it serves together, whether it's through blogging, whether it's through doing online events or physical events. This is what we do, bring uh, the community of uh, geospatial experts and the industries that they serve together. I think it'd be really interesting to talk about that transition from thinking of this as a blog to a community later on. But I'd really like to know a little bit more about your journey with it first. So obviously, when you start a blog, you start from zero traffic, no readers. Whereabouts is, is geo-awesomeness today in terms of, of numbers? So we got like 7 million page visits last year, and we are right around the same mark this year as well. And you're right, when you start blogging, I still remember the early days uh, together with Alex, where we were celebrating when we crossed 500 page visits for the entire month. And there were days where we were celebrating when a particular blog post was read by 100 people. People tend to underestimate what they can accomplish over large periods of time, and they tend to overestimate what they can do in a short amount of time. So, yeah, we're very happy where we are today. When we talk about numbers, you know, with anything to do with the internet, I mean, I think our, our sense of reality is really distorted because you're, you're talking about 500 visits a month as being a really low number. But if, if those people were showing up at your house over the month, that would be just this tidal wave of people coming through. I think because we see influences on, on various social media platforms with millions and millions and millions of followers, we have this sort of distorted understanding of perhaps the impact a blog like Geo Awesomeness can have on the world. You are absolutely right. And, and to be perfectly honest, it's not those 
500 page visits or the 7 million page visits um, that count, at least for me, not anymore, and not for Alex as well. What actually counts for us is those emails that we get from individuals letting us know that they enjoy reading the blog or they benefited from it or they found a job because they were blogging with your awesomeness. These personal stories, these personal interactions are the ones that make our life a lot more enlightened and more fun rather than checking out the statistics on the blog uh, on a daily basis. The statistics serve their purpose, and don't get me wrong. Of course, it's uh, very satisfying to know that we reach 7 million page visits a year and that we did better than last year. But the real story is not in numbers, the real story is in all of those personal interactions. What kept you going at the start? Because I think you're absolutely right. We completely overestimate what we can do in the, in the short run and totally underestimate what we can do in the long run. It's difficult to start things. I'm pretty sure that if we could crawl the internet and look for all of the blogs, we would discover a huge number of them and a large amount of those blogs would be abandoned. And people give up things all the time. What, what kept you going? You know, that's actually a funny question. Um, and the reason why I say it's funny is because it was always not just a story of blogging, but it was also a story of a friendship for me and for Alex. Because over the years, we've run this blog together. We've had so many conversations where we've exchanged information, where we've spoken about where the industry is headed. And I think uh, at the, the end of the day, that's what kept us going that we had a sparring partner, that we had somebody who was just as excited as myself to speak about Geospatial on a regular basis. I remember right at the beginning when I started blogging, and we were having conversations pretty much every other day. And over the years, of course, with family commitments and with more responsibility at work, it reduces, but we still have more or less at least one text message every other day and at least one phone call every week. I think that's what really kept us going, being very blunt that we had a team and that we were pushing each other to strive for greatness and for changing the world through our words. So I think if you're going to change the world through your words, you almost need to have an opinion or have a goal. And I think if you have an opinion or a goal, some people will, will disagree with you. What is that like when people disagree with you? Or, or maybe yeah, I'm sure you've seen that over the 10 years of, of blogging. But what does critique look like for you then? And, and what does it look like for you now? The point about having an opinion, I think that's something that comes quite naturally to all of us. I mean, we all have opinions about pretty much everything. The only difference is whether we care about it to share our opinion with others, in a sense. And yeah, you're absolutely right uh, in terms of critique. The first couple of criticisms that I received was hard to take, was rather difficult to comprehend, especially when it was not a critique about, hey, um, this particular fact of uh, what you presented is not right, but rather more on the lines of, I don't believe in the future that you envision, or it's not as rosy, or it's not as, as complicated as you envision it. And when you hear such thoughts as a very young, early stage professional, you then have this imposter syndrome. So you start to wonder, am I now reaching out of my league? Am I talking about things that I should not be talking about? So that makes it a bit difficult right at the beginning. But I also saw myself evolve through these criticisms, through these interactions. When somebody criticizes me and points out something that I got wrong, I, I remember right around my first year of blogging, somebody pointed out, hey, you got the frequency of the ESPAS satellites wrong. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a very, very basic mistake that I shouldn't be making considering that I am working in the satellite navigation industry. 
And then I quickly fixed it and I dropped down a note saying, hey, um, sorry for the mistake in the blog about the frequencies. And what I realized through this experience was as long as you have a mindset where you're willing to admit your mistakes and as long as you're willing to learn new things, you're going to be fine. But yeah, I'm not going to lie. It is hard to take criticism that's not about facts, but rather about opinions and to evolve and to learn from it. Do you think when we do work like this, when we do work online, when we share our thoughts in public, that we also need to learn that not all critique is equal and that sometimes it's just not for them? You're right. There is no easy way around it. But the truth is, um, and this is what I've learned with uh, you know eight years or 10 years of your awesomeness, you will never satisfy every single person out there. With doing the online events as a very clear example, there are always people who want the talks to be very detailed and very much into the programming. And there are other people who prefer to have a more broader overview of the technology and the concept rather than getting into the nitty gritties of things. The same applies to, to criticism as well. People are always viewing your work through their prism, through their lenses, so to speak, and they are going to have a different opinion about it than you do. And as long as you're willing to take the core message and trying to improve whatever content you're creating, you're going to be fine. But if you start taking it personally, that's where it gets difficult. Yeah, I, I want to move on to that idea in just a second of the, the separation between the brand of Geo Awesomeness and you. I'm curious now, because when you create a platform like Geo Awesomeness, you talked about the number of, of visitors you have each year just before. And I think based on that number, we really can call it a platform. You become really visible online. So people know you. Has that meant anything for you personally and perhaps even for your career? Has that meant anything for me personally? Uh, yeah, it gives me immense satisfaction to be able to um, have all of these conversations with people like you, with people in other companies, learn from their experiences. So in a sense, it's gotten easier for me to have conversations with people. I don't have to try extremely hard in order to get an appointment. That's the, the, the amazing part of it. But no, it's, it hasn't changed my life in any other way, so to speak. And in terms of my career, whew, uh, I can't begin to explain how much of a boost it has been for my career, how all of these conversations that I'm having through GeoAwesomeness has helped me connect the dots better. I've land, landed jobs uh, through GeoAwesomeness and to the, to the work that I have done with GeoAwesomeness. So yes, absolutely. It, it's uh, one of the best things you can do for your career is to have an positive online presence i'm not talking about creating a twitter account and just tweeting about the happenings of the world i'm sure it could help if you want to be a journalist but if you want to be one of the best network people in the geospatial industry then writing creating blogs creating podcasts creating videos whatever it is is a wonderful way to meet people and expand your horizons Honestly, I, I couldn't agree more with, with that. I, I really couldn't. I've experienced a little bit of that myself, and it, it's absolutely amazing. And it's, it's really exciting, actually, just to be involved in it a little bit and have the opportunity to have those conversations that you were talking about. I recently asked if anyone was any sort of students or geospatial students, early stage geospatial professionals would be interested in coming on the podcast. I thought it'd be a really good idea to help tell their story. And I came up with this idea that we often talk about the future of geospatial, but perhaps it would be a good idea to be talking with the future of geospatial. And what I discovered through this call for applications, I guess you could say, that I put out on the internet, was that most of the people that responded don't have any sort of online profile, online presence, apart from a few sort of scattered social media accounts and a LinkedIn profile. 
Why do you think more people aren't in- investing in this kind of online profile that geo-awesomeness has become for you? Before I answer the question, I thought I um, categorized myself as an early stage professional at 30, or am I too old for this category already? Too old. <laughs> at 30? Come on, give me a break. It doesn't um, count because we had one year of corona. No, jokes aside, you're right. I also find it quite fascinating that people are more willing to create a social media account, say Twitter, and less willing to spend a couple of hours actually creating their professional online presence, especially when you are a student or an early stage professional like myself. I still include myself in that category, Daniel, regardless of what you say, to try and differentiate yourself from the rest of the crowd, so to speak. And not just that, to to show how passionate you are about the industry. And this isn't just about getting a job. And I think, and now this is really me guessing, I think the major reason for people not to do this is the amount of work they envision that it takes. And they are right in more cases than one. Maintaining a website is hard work and you don't immediately maybe see the results of your hard work and it takes a lot of time. But that doesn't mean you should necessarily have to create your own website. You could join other platforms that have an open policy, geosomeness included. Or even just go on LinkedIn and start writing there if you don't want to maintain a website. Fundamentally, I think it boils down to the fact that A, they think it's a lot of work and B, they're afraid uh, of documenting their thoughts in a certain way. Could that be it? I don't know. What what has your experience been so far? Yeah, I, I think people are afraid of being on the hook for something, being on the hook in public for a an idea, for a thought, for a vision. I think that it's a scary place to be because when you commit to something like that in public, you attract a certain amount of criticism. Some people will clap you on the back and say, yes, well done. I've been thinking that. I'm really pleased that you you said that. I'm with you. And there'll be other people out there that say, you know what, that's not for me. I, I agree. It really hurts when anonymous people show up and say, this is not for me. <laughs> you know, th- this is bad. If I look at my the reviews for this podcast on Apple Podcasts, there's a few one-star reviews there. There's two stars, three stars. Anonymous people on the internet that have shown up and said, hey, I care enough to say that I don't like this. This is not for me. And it's, it's difficult because what do you do with that, right? That one-star review tells me a lot about them, but not very much about what I can do to make things better. I think it's a, a difficult place to be. I think it's a, a difficult commitment to make. And you're right. And uh, as long as you know the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing, and in my case, and for geo-awesomeness, it's, you know, evangelizing and promoting the use of geospatial technology and how awesome it is, then it starts to fade away in the background because their criticism doesn't really make a difference to your core message. If it's not constructive, I mean, if it's constructive, then sure. But if it's not constructive, then it's a bit more easier to ignore it. Just looking at the purpose of why you're doing it. Even in your case, I mean, I've learned so much from the podcast that you've hosted, the one with the robots um, inspecting this uh, electrical substations and so on, that was so fascinating for me. And I had to Google it up immediately to learn more about it and things like this. And frankly, this is what motivates me. And this is what makes it so interesting. And therefore, when somebody criticizes an opinion that I have and doesn't necessarily believe it to be true, sure, there's even a saying, right? I don't know who said it, but I love it. If we are going to discuss facts, then let's discuss them. But if we are going to discuss opinions, then let's go with mine. 
Brilliant. I'll have to remember that. I really love what you said about the constructive criticism as well. Obviously, that, that's a big part of, of what we're talking about here. You have to be willing to take that, accept that. If you're going to grow and create better things, it's a big part of listening to people and you know, adjusting your way of doing things, I guess. But it has to be constructive criticism. I think that's really important. So we've talked a little bit about how much work is involved in doing something like this and creating something like Geo Awesomeness. And I also know that you have a full-time job. I guess people will look at that and go, wow, that must be really stressful. Firstly, is it stressful? And if it is, what, what do you do to avoid it becoming too much? That's an interesting question, Daniel. And to be honest, one of the reasons besides the fascination with maps and besides the fascination with geospatial technology, one of the reasons that I started blogging was because the first full-time job that I had just after I graduated from my bachelor's program was not as challenging as I expected it to be, which really frustrated me to a large extent. Um, and I had this feeling that, that I needed to focus my energy into another direction besides the, the, the full-time job so that I can keep evolving and avoid feeling frustrated. And there is actually a really interesting book that I've been reading. I'm, I'm almost done with it. I highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in reading books on performance and so on. It's called Peak Performance, and it's written by two guys called Brad and Steve. And the reason why I'm mentioning it is they wrote the book about how you can uh, you know, improve uh, your performance, avoid burnout, and thrive. So with science, it's not just uh, blah, 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 but rather evidence-based and science-based arguments for it. And one of the things that they mention in the book is to have a purpose in order for you to avoid burnout. So in an essence, to, to have a purpose that transcends you as a person, to do something that you believe is helping others, that you believe is going to change lives. And this way, you apparently can recharge your batteries much faster and much more often than you would otherwise if you're just focusing on, let's say, advancing your own career. And if I'm being totally honest, it's not the reason why I started blogging. I, I did not have this information, neither did I have this insight when I started blogging. When I started blogging, I, I started doing it because I simply wanted to have an area where I can focus my energies and feel productive in addition to the job. And looking ahead, you know, after all of these years, and that's the beauty of, of being able to connect the dots, right? I'm able to see, wow, right at the point of time where I was feeling frustrated, where I was feeling maybe a bit burned out, I started blogging and, and it was because I enjoyed it and it was because I found that there's a higher purpose to it. Not that I knew that there was a higher purpose to it. Now I can look at it and say, this is what I did. And this is why I was able to, over a period of time, and it didn't happen overnight, evolve into the person that I am today and avoid burning out and avoid becoming stressed. And yeah, it is challenging to have a full-time job and to run a platform like this because you're making a commitment not just to yourself, but also to the community that you're going to be constantly producing content. And you are always trying to manage the expectations that your family has on you, the expectations that your friends have on your free time and you have on your free time. But in a nutshell, having a purpose that transcends myself or you know individuals, I think that's largely played a role in avoiding the feeling of stress, at least when it comes to your awesomeness. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. And I really appreciate your honesty. So I, I want to get back to the idea of being visible online now. So we've talked about all the benefits that you've gotten out of it. We had a little bit of a discussion around why people might not be willing to 
to do the same thing, to work in public and be visible online in the way that you've chosen to be. I'm wondering if there was ever a conversation in your head about should I create Mutu's blog, like, or should I be, should Geo Awesomeness have my name, or should you as a person be an online profile? That's a really interesting question. And I have to admit that I haven't really thought about it in this way because I've associated myself with Geo Awesomeness and for better or for worse, Geo Awesomeness has been associated with 130 other people as well. And to be honest, I wouldn't be here today talking to you if I had a blog that was called Mutu's blog, because then A, it would have been just me working in a vacuum without having the ability to work in a team, which I truly enjoy. I think I'm somebody who loves working in a team rather than being the lone wolf in all things. And being in a team also challenges you to evaluate whether what you what you hold as an opinion is actually correct or if you might want to change it or if you want to update it or if you want to evolve yourself. Long story short, I've never thought about creating Muthu's blog and writing about geospatial stuff. And the best thing about geoawesomeness is that it gave me the freedom to have my own style without necessarily having to adhere to so-called geoawesomeness style because there isn't one. We've had, like I said, more than 100 people writing for the blog. So you can't have one style that captures everybody's point of view and everybody's opinion. I think that's a really interesting point about having your own style. And it kind of, at least for me, begs the question, do you consider yourself a creator or a journalist? I definitely don't consider myself a journalist because I have a lot of respect for the profession and I'm too unorganized and <laughs> half of that for that. I don't know if I consider myself a creator. I, I, I just think I'm somebody who uh, likes connecting the dots. That's just how I look at it. I enjoy having conversations. I enjoy writing about those conversations. And if that makes me a creator, sure. But I don't know. What What do you think? Do you consider yourself a journalist? I'm the one that answering the, asking the questions here. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think if I had to choose between those two, I'd consider myself a creator simply because I think that when I think about a creator, I think about there being a lot more room to add my personality into the work. And I think about a situation where personality is not a bug, but, but it's a feature. When I consider journalistic work, I think that personality might be a bug. But yeah, I really like what you said there, that you know, as a journalist, you can't necessarily have a style that you have to report the facts as they are. Whereas as a creator, you can spin it according to your, your wish. Okay, in that case, I'm fully convinced. I'm going to go with the creator part of it. Then there's at least two of us out there. I'm sure there's a few more. We'll have to track them down. Yes, sir, we have to. Uh, then we can form the uh, X-Men equivalent of uh, geospatial creators. You mentioned before about the style of geo-awesomeness. So for me, style is, it sits really, really close to, to brand of geo-awesomeness. And again, if we extrapolate out from brand, I think... A lot of the times when we talk about brand, we talk about a promise being made or an expectation of geo-awesomeness in, in this case. What, what do you think the promise is that geo-awesomeness makes? The promise that geo-awesomeness makes is that we never publish press releases. Let me uh, explain that a bit in detail. What I mean by that is we are a community platform that essentially provides commentary, inspiration, explanation about what's happening in the geospatial industry. And what we don't like to do is to um, publish press releases because that basically means that there is nobody looking at it and telling a story. You know, it's just a bunch of lines that explains to you what's 
what's what without any kind of added commentary about okay this is what it means because this connects to this story and this connects to this story and this is why it's so important all of this is kind of usually missing when you do a press release kind of format that's maybe a long-winded answer so the promise of geo awesomeness is that we will always comment about things that we see in the industry in the most personal way possible do you feel a responsibility personally to to keep that promise Certainly. I mean, I've had many a times where I've been conflicted uh, because of lack of time or something else where I haven't put the amount of effort that I wanted to put into a story where I have maybe broken the promise or, or, or not as fulfilled it. So I certainly do feel a responsibility um, when I put content out there for the consumption of others or even for the, for the events that I organize, I've always felt extremely responsible about other people's time. And that's why when I was hosting events under the Geobomb banner in Munich, I used to go and meet the speakers a week or two ahead of the event and have a coffee with them, talk to them about the event, get an idea about their work and uh, tell them what to expect. And many a times it seems like a lot of effort for a 30-minute, 20-minute presentation. But I definitely felt a sense of responsibility because I was essentially playing with the time of 70, 80 other people. So yeah, I, I, I feel that intensely. So right at the start of this conversation, we talked about geo-awesomeness being a blog. At the start, at least, when you published those first couple of articles, it was a blog. And now you consider it to be more of a community. What does that community look like today? How do you how do you develop that community? How do you make sure the people in the community are getting what they need out of it? That's a great question. Um, so the evolution of geo-awesomeness is like you pointed out. I mean, we started as a blog and then we realized that we were having wonderful conversations with really wonderful people in the industry. And, and then we wanted to kind of make these conversations available for everybody. So we started writing and interviewing people rather than just writing and blogging from our perspective. So we, we started interviewing others and startups especially. And then we realized, okay, we are building an online community. So we are connecting people online and we should be also doing it in person. And then we, we started doing events in Munich where we kind of, tried to bring the community together for an evening so that we can all geek out about your special technology and the industries it serves. So this is how it evolved over time. So how we bring them together today is uh, through the blogs, through the different social media accounts that we have, and also through the online events that we do. And in essence, it's, it's a community because more than two people are contributing to it. It's a community because anybody can join and anybody can benefit out of it. We have an open door policy in that sense. And it's a community because you do things together and we all have the common goal that we like your special technology and what you can do with it, whether it's for business, whether it's for government policy or whether it's for transforming the world for better. Again, this is a huge transition from blog to community and it's happened, I'm assuming anyway, slowly over 10 years. What would you say to someone who was thinking about wanting to create a similar thing to geo-awesomeness? Would you suggest they jump straight into building the community? Would you suggest they get their feet wet with social media accounts first? Or would you suggest they start blogging first, start creating content in perhaps on uh, podcasts or videos or blog content? Oh, that's actually a very, very tough question because I don't consider myself as an expert in building communities. 
I do enjoy creating communities, by the way. I, I do enjoy bringing people together. And I think there are different ways in which you can do it. I mean, you, they, if they have a wonderful podcast a voice, like my good friend here, Daniel, then they can go ahead and create podcasts. And if they're like me, um, then maybe they should be sticking to, to writing. And I know people who do YouTube videos as well. And yeah, it, it really depends. Pick a format that you feel comfortable with. And I think what's even more important than that is to ensure that you don't go with the frequency at the very start, which is very high, and then you get burned out and then you can't do it anymore. I think start slow, see what you like and iteratively improve it. That would be my, my advice, I guess, for building communities. When you talk about building communities, for me, that sounds like the, the job for a leader. Do you consider yourself to be a, a leader? That's a great question. No, um, I don't really consider myself a leader at any level. I'm somebody who enjoys working in a team, like I have mentioned earlier as well. And I enjoy uh, being the first person to try things out, whether it's a new piece of technology, whether it's a new mechanism for communication, whether it's a new platform uh, for automating tasks. This is something I enjoy doing and I do love the results that you get when you bring people together. And that's something I, I, I do. And if that makes me a leader, maybe. But on a fundamental level, I, I don't think I'm somebody who wants to dictate what others should do. I'm rather more the person who believes in the collective and believes in, you know, we are stronger together. If I introduced you to a friend and I said, hey, I really want you to meet this person. They are somebody who likes bringing people together, likes going first, likes showing the way. Would the word leadership come to mind at all for you? When you put it like that, sure. I, I kind of get the angle from where you're coming. And it is true that these are qualities that a leader should have or has. But the, the word leader is kind of a bit loaded. And maybe that's one reason why I shy away from taking up that mantle. In every conversation that we've had, Mutu, I've always been blown away by your, your humble nature and by your relentless enthusiasm for the geospatial industry. So with that, I really want to say thank you so much for all the work that you and Alex have done over the last 10 years. It's greatly appreciated. It's been inspiring to follow along. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed reading the articles. I hope that you continue for another 10 years. Where can we send people if they want to, maybe they would like to write an article for Geo Awesomeness. Maybe they would like to reach out to you personally. Where's a good place for people to go if they wanted to do either of those two things? I'm really glad that you brought this question up. If people want to write for GeoAwesomeness or if they want to be part of this community, so to speak, they can always reach out to me or Alex. The easiest way to reach me would be mutu, M-U-T-H-U, at geoawesomeness.com. And uh, you can reach Alex at uh, A-L-E-K-S at geoawesomeness.com. Or I mean, you're going to be pretty uh, easily finding us on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. First of all, thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I have to admit, talking to you in a formal interview style is not as fun as talking to you when the cameras are not rolling, but I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and thanks for having me. You are most welcome, my friend. Once again, a huge thank you to my sponsor, safegraph.com. So these guys do an incredible job of curating points of interest for the UK, the US and Canada. And... They do a ton of work for the community in general. They are one of the founding partners behind the PlaceKey initiative, which is worth checking out if you haven't heard of it before. And also they have built this thing called the Data Consortium, where they've built a community around academics working 
on their data. So they give free access to academics and a, a lot of support as well, which I think is absolutely brilliant. So if you're in the market for points of interest data, check out safegraph.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it a bit easier to find and just realize that by supporting SafeGraph, you're also supporting all of the great work that they're doing for the geospatial community at large. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Mutu from GeoAwesomeness. I will leave some links in the show notes to GeoAwesomeness itself and of course a few other places where you can reach out to Mutu or Alex if you would like to find out more about what it is they do, how they do it and perhaps connect with them. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in all the way to the end. Really appreciate it. I'll be back again with another episode next week, so feel free to tune in then. And as always, you are more than welcome to reach out to me. You can find me on social media. I'm most active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Or you can send an email to info at mapscaping.com. It would be really great to hear from you. Okay, that's it from me. We'll talk again next week. Bye.